Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. at the end, shall we? We'll do it now. Okay, go on then. I haven't got one of you. No. Well, uh, welcome once again to our podcast, Jules and Jim's Joyride, and we're here today with what I can only describe as a, a legend. A, 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 a poet, an artist, a great man, a hero of modern Britain. Yeah. It is John Cooper Clark. There he is. All uh, of those things and more. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> what, what accent was and that? And then some. Yes, and then and some. And some. And then some. We were just discussing Bert Lancaster. Whose real name was Bert Wankfaster. According to you. According to me. <laughs> no wonder but, he changed his name. Yes. <laughs> but he was, um, you were saying he's B U R T. B U R T. So where does that, John, do you have any idea where that comes from? Because it's not short for Albert, is it? Because that would be e, most Berts are B E R T. But, but Bert. Who's from Lancashire? Bert. <laughs> Bert Wankfaster. <laughs> well, there we are. And we'll then he went it. off, talking of people from Lancashire who went to America, Butch Cassidy apparently was born in Lancashire, went to America to rob trains, and he had such a strong Lancashire accent, no one could understand him. Is that true? So, get up, get up, get up. Get up. Like, what, Lancashire, uh, right, get up, train, get up. But they couldn't understand him. No, I mean, I can't, so I'm finding so it huge, like, all the trains would be going, pardon? <laughs> Are you, you say that, but it must have been pretty obvious. Once somebody's got a mask and they're pointing a gun, yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious what they but want. They, yeah, they, and apparently they couldn't they'll, understand They all pretended they couldn't, because they didn't want to, oh, sorry, we don't understand you, we would pretend not, so they don't have to hand their, their valuables over. Yeah. I and mean, that's that old ploy. But anyway, that nicely leads us in to our travel motif. Yes, it is very, it's a very thin motif. Robbery on trains. Have you ever robbed a train, John? <laughs> <laughs> what, by hiding in the lavatory when they come round to uh, look for the tickets, you mean? Is it, does that, that count as robbing trains? I suppose so, yes. Robbing That's, the railways. Um, Malcolm Hardy's but, trick was to say to someone who'd gone into the lavatory, uh, tickets, please, just put your ticket <laughs> under the door. And then he'd take the ticket and go off with it and use it. <laughs> What's your favourite method of transport? Cars, car, tra- car by car? Yeah, like, I fa- consider the hours I spend in the passenger seats of an automobile to be golden. <laughs> yes, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you while the time? Do you look out the window what's going on or are you, are you busy reading, writing? Oh, no, read, look out the, the window. You can yeah. get sick, can't you, reading in a, in a forward-moving vehicle? Yeah. You know? So, no, I look out the windows. Have you ever been locked in the boot of a car? <laughs> no, no, that's a good, that's an intelligent question. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean... No, it, no, I haven't. 
I had been kidnapped, but not in the boot of a really? car. Yeah, what yeah. happened when you were kidnapped then? I was kidnapped by a doctor in uh, Switzerland, actually. For, for what purpose? Oh, it's, it's a really long story to do with narcotics, to be honest. But it was a very friendly kind of kidnapping, in which case he could sort of sort me out for my uh, entire stay. So we had this kind of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson kind of relationship whereby uh, everywhere I went I was accompanied by this uh, tame doctor oh. with, uh, you know, the little black bag and everything. So it was all... So it, was, it wasn't a real kidnapping? Not really, no. He'd cancel, but he, he kind more, of, more it, no, it kind more, of was. He'd cancel, the, he took the liberty of cancelling... He met me at the airport. He took the liberty of cancelling my hotel in order to look after me for my entire stay. I mean, there is a boundary line out, b- b- between kidnap and befriending, isn't there? There is. You it know, was, it's, like, it's a thin the line The worst thing sometimes. I could say about him was that he was an enabler, yes. <laughs> as they say at the Betty Ford mm-hmm. Clinic. But was I was very of... glad of it at the time. So when did you, when did you but, first, first realise that it was a life of, of being a poet and a traveller? When did that dawn on you that you realised you could do that for a living? Did you have a horrid other jobs before you... I did, yeah, but it was always my uh, intention to be a, a professional poet for a living. Oh, that is very good. Well, from you know, what age? From the, well, when I, I realised it was the only thing I was really any good at. Mm. When I left school, I got a job as an apprentice motor mechanic. Really? Yeah, that was my first job. But they, they used to put you on... If you, if you were sort of on an apprenticeship, you'd, you'd go through a sort of what they call a probationary period where so they could see whether you had any aptitude in this uh, realm of operation. Uh, uh, you know, they'd, they'd give you a bit of a trial period. So we, we reached an agreement that I wasn't really cut out for this sort of work. You know, I, I like cars but only because of the, what they look like and, uh, you know, the, 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 the in-car furnishings. And, and so forth, yes. Yeah, so. You know, all that flaky stuff, you know, I wasn't really interested in the, no, no, under the hood. Exactly, yeah. You know, quite, uh, yeah, too so much. Uh, it wasn't really uh, suitable. Then I, I came to a sort of uh, agreement with my mum. My brother had just been born, well, you know, about, he was about three at the time, and my mum got a job at a, a local uh, confectioner's and, uh, and I, I come up with an arrangement whereby I looked after our kid, my brother Paul, while she went to work. But sooner or later, when, you know, if you're that, if you if you're kind of working age and there didn't seem to be anything wrong with you, and you were around in the daytime, you know, it soon became apparent that you weren't like in gainful employment. And I don't know about you, but I've always been susceptible to uh, public opinion. <laughs> on a neighbourhood level. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm saying? I'm a neighbourhood kind of guy. So it started off, not got a job yet, John. Yeah. No, still looking, you know, it's, oh, it's tra- terrible, the state of employment at the moment. Uh, a lot of people, you know, blah, 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 blah. My sympathy... Anyway, their sympathy soon turned to kind of... Uh, you know what? Not got a job yet. So I started to feel the sort of pressure. Yeah. You know that. Uh, you know, here I am around in the daytime. You couldn't have lied and said, "Well, yeah, I'm just." Well, I'm, I did. Well, I'm, what, I've got. Well, I'm the chairman of Shell, but well, I'm only well, going once a week. Well, uh, I did. I did lie, but the lie turned into a reality. I it gained its own momentum. What I said to him was, "I'm trying to get into the printing trade, which it was well known that it was very difficult." to break into the printing trade at that time. You, it was kind of 
not what you know, it's who you know kind of situation. So they were all very sympathetic then, you know, like, uh, oh, here's a guy with ambition. Yeah, it's been thwarted. You know I mean? oh, it's, very, it's a notoriously difficult job. Good luck with that. Yeah. Instead of, you You've know, not got a job yet. So you turn that around, well. <laughs> so I turned around, but I got into printing. I sat all the exams. I thought I might as well make it look good. So I sat, I sat all the exams to get imprinted. And I became, uh, eventually, it morphed in. I had to wait for a bit. For, a, for an opening, but I became a compositor back in the days of uh, lead type. Ah. You know, at that point, it, it, the print trade, printing trade hadn't changed for 500 years or 300 years or whatever. Mm. Uh, but then computers came in and it was a sort of obsolete... Well, that was quite skill. handy, so you could say to the neighbours, oh, computers <coughs> have come, I'm out of work again. That's right, yeah, so again, you know, I could, uh, I could uh, gain the uh, sympathy of my uh, neighbourhood... Uh, so did you did you typeset your poetry? Yeah, I did. Of course, I did. Yeah, and yeah, make yeah. Books. just to, just to, just to make it just to get an idea of what it would look like in a book. I was but I was really always long story short. I was always determined to uh, to be a, a professional poet. You, you told me once, John, that you would you would. Um, I'm trying to, but I'm trying to what it was. But you had an early experience with Bernard Manning. Yeah, he's the first guy to ever give me cash money for doing what I do. Oh, that's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. What happened there then? You know, obviously, I tried to get publishing deals that were all you know rejected. Why would they? I've never made them any money. Why would they be interested? So, uh, so I, I started reading about Baudelaire anyway on the strength of you know the Edgar Allan Poe connection, and I found out that he, you know, he did readings for you know, public recitals of his oh. work. Got a kind of fan base kind of thing back in the 19, mid nineteenth century. So I thought, why not now? There weren't and obviously any poetry venues. There was no scene for it. What year are we talking about? It was sort of just after I left school, you know. I mean, even when I got that, that first job, I thought, this ain't what I really what I want to... Yeah, I want to be a professional poet, even then, you know what I mean? But And the more... So I thought, as there are no venues for poetry, the more incongruous the venue, the better. So I thought, well, there's some sort of tradition of poetry in show business. You know, if you go back to the musicals, yeah. you know, there was loads of monologue artists. Yeah. The one that comes to mind, the most successful of them all, being Stanley Holloway, who made it in, um, you know, other areas as well. But he, he was a monologue artist at first, wasn't he, doing and Albert, he used to re- yeah, Albert and, and the, the Lion, line. Yeah, exactly. Brown Boots. He did that way. He, did, he even did them in northern dialects and that, you know. He was very, very skilled, yeah. uh, very skilled at it. So I sort of had him as a bit of a template. I thought, there's a place for poetry in, in the show business world. So uh, long story short, I got a gig uh, for a, a left-wing newspaper, a benefit gig. So I said to me, Dad, hey, I, I've got a, I'm doing a recital tonight, you know, uh, I've, got, I've got a public recital on. He says, how much are you getting for that? I said, it's a benefit for a magazine. Everybody's performing for nothing, you know. Christy Moore was on it for a start. Everybody's doing it for nothing. He says, well, anybody will employ you for nothing. (laughs) So I thought, well, you know, (laughs) he's right there. He was right about a lot of things, my old fella. And uh, so I thought, what would impress my dad? Who in show business would impress my dad? And uh, I thought, well, there was only one answer to that. Bernard Manning, my dad, oh, was uh, a, reg- a regular at the, the embassy club and what have you. And uh, so I, I went round to the embassy club and, in the afternoon. And, That's uh, in Manchester, right? Yeah, yeah. 
he had Bernard's club and uh, he was he was knocking around there and uh, I gave him my pitch and I'd just written this uh, this number called Salome which was about a, a punch-up in a dance hall where this chick gets killed, you know. That, anyway, I thought he knows that world because he, Bernard Manning started out as a singer with the Oscar Rabin band. You know, he's a proper, proper singer, Bernard. And uh, he, he saw the end of, of that world, you know. He, he, he was, they, they were booked up 18 months in advance when he, when he quit the band, you know, and Bernard he went up to Oscar, he says, he said, I'm just giving, me, giving you my notice, I'll honour the next 18 months gigs and then I'm getting out. He says, "What are you you joking? We've never been, never been, never been doing any better than this. You know, this is as good as it gets for us. You know, and yet now you're leaving. What's going on?" And he says, uh, "And Bernard says, it's finished for this kind of music. Haven't you heard that Elvis Presley?" Oh. <laughs> and that's when, uh, you know, so his finger on the pulse, guy Bernard. You know what I mean? And that's when he got out. Yeah. He was dead right. You know. Was, uh, so he left and started doing. He his left comedy. on the strength of hearing Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah, heard that once. Don't need any more, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They won't be going for this stuff anymore. (laughs) So that's what... Because at first he says, don't waste your time. They don't like poetry in here, kid. Half of them can't fucking read. (laughs) (laughs) So then I hit him with this one. No, it's it's nothing highfalutin, Mr Manning, you know, it's... uh, for instance, so I give him that, you know, she fell off her stiletto. When the ambulances came, she was lying on the deck. She fell off her stiletto wheels and broke her fucking neck. He says, all right, that'll, that'll do. All right, then I'll <laughs> yeah. give you 20 minutes. So I give you 20 minutes. So, what so was I had the to ge- do a couple of numbers, a few gags, and then introduce the next act. What was the general gist of Salome? It's about, you know, story, you know, though. yeah, you know, secrets. She had a number on her back and sequins on her tits, the sartorial requirements for women in the Ritz. You know, it's, it's a kind of a... I painted a vivid picture. Yeah, and she got murdered. One that, one that I knew that he would recognise. Well, a punch-up breaks out and uh, she falls foul of a, a stray fist or something and falls off her stiletto wheels and breaks her fucking neck. But then Bernard, but the gig went well, so did Bernard I wouldn't say it went well. No, no, I wouldn't say that. It wasn't an instant success. I was met with wall-to-wall indifference, which is your (laughs) greatest enemy as a poet, you know. Not hostility. Hostility can work in your favour, but indifference, that's your enemy. And what did did, did Bernard say after the show? But after that, I got loads of gigs at cabaret places all over Manchester. Once I told them I'd done the Embassy Club, it was like bloody. Didn't you walk in the office and wasn't he? Didn't you interrupt him halfway through a sentence? It's just something you told me once. I'm trying to remember what it was. Or you over? Or he was sort of the? He was on the phone to somebody or something. I can't think. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a routine. Yeah, that's right. I was waiting to get paid outside Bernard's office, and I could hear him chewing out one of the previous acts, and he was saying that when you said you were going to saw a woman in half, I'd assumed you were a magician. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing you supporting punk bands all up and up, like everywhere. Yeah, you were always yeah. on with everyone. That's right. I was on with everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I was a, I was an easy ride for them, you know, because there was nothing to shift off the stage. You know, there was no kind of. You know, I was a sort of godsend to them, really. And then you, then, yeah. so how did you get about on, in a in a van? 
On your uh, own? No, originally I, I was driven around by uh, Martin Hannett in a lease hire Volvo. The producer? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why so was I, Martin so Hannett all, driving you so around? So I heard all those Joy Division records about a year before everybody else, you know, in work in progress on the old cassette, in the, the in-car cassette. And they'd drive you around, so, presumably, because he, he had bands on? No, no, he was sort of part of my management at the time as well. So, and was um, did you once you were the punk thing? Did did mainstream showbiz have any any sort of put its tentacles out towards you during that period, the punk period? No, not at all. But the way the way uh, mainstream show business sort of validated what I did when every, well, the, the thing that got everybody off my back really about poetry not being a reliable engine of wealth and all that. You know, I didn't have an argument against that until. The success of Pam Ayres on Opportunity Knock. And then I could uh-huh. point to somebody that was actually cleaning up. You know, what's the difference, me and her? She writes about our, her world, I write about mine. We're doing the same gig, really. I mean, I can't think of anybody apart from you who is who's, who's, who's like a poet who would do gigs in the music world and people would love, because people do love you. They, they, you've got a great following of... People, you know. Yeah, I suppose that. The, yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of accuracy in that, Jules. Yeah, I've always sort of uh, follow the crowds, in it. Follow the money. Follow the crowds. You know what I mean? It's and that's why it seemed like a very good idea to enter the world of punk rock. You get getting a lot of circular conversation, and it was it was Howard Devoto that, that that convinced me to get in, into that world. You know, because he, he said like, you already look the part. So I already kind of fitted in because I didn't wear... There was only two rules, weren't there? No beards, no flares. (laughs) (laughs) I've got flares on. Sorry, Jim. (laughs) I'm not wearing flares. They were the only two rules, weren't they, though? Although I did, at that time, have a pair... I didn't have any straight-leg trousers. What, Uh, bike, bicycle clips? I had flares. But I did find a lot of safety pins on the floor. Because I went to very early punk gigs and I found a lot of safety pins discarded. So I employed them to tighten up my flares. But of, of, of course, and, and, and really the other thing was that you were responsible for, is, which, which happened in the punk thing, which was where swearing, which had been completely out on recordings, unless they were sort of underground records or in anything before, suddenly in punk records, well, the first record I played on was Fuck Off by the Electric Chairs. Suddenly the, it's like the, the, that word has come in and you had that amazing poem... Uh, which was uh, fucking this and fucking that. Which oh, was evidently like, chickens. So, yes, yeah. yeah, I mean, an amazing poem, but it was Thanks. like a noted work. Yeah. But it was, but it was more swearing in it than any other uh, uh, poem that I could have thought of. But a work of genius. Well, but did what... you have problems with that sort of thing? Well, I, I, I had a problem getting on death row records with that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> before that, you... Some people just have to push it too yes. far. Yeah. Before that, you had Philip Larkin, didn't you? That's what Biggie Small said. Yeah. Philip Parkin was the only one. Oh, he did, yeah, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. And yeah. that was it. That's when it. you got that in... Uh, I remember at school saying, can we have Philip Larkin, please? <laughs> <laughs> I always, to get a teacher. I always misunderstood it. it. I always thought it was they tuck you up, your mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what you're teaching. <laughs> yes. ah, that's, that's been used, that one, Jules, yeah. actually, oh. by a contemporary of mine, Martin Newell. He's, he's, he, oh. That's the first line of one of his poems, yeah, oh. yeah. They tuck you up, your mum and dad. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, but, yeah, the F word. In fact, when I wrote that, it was bloody, and, it, it, and it's that on the... You know, bloody this and bloody that, because I, p- I pinched it off an old army tune. 
the bloody flicks of bloody. It's about a, it's written by a squaddy that was stationed in the Orkney Islands in the war. The bloody flicks of bloody old. Uh, the bloody seats are bloody cold. You can't get in for bloody gold in bloody Orkney. And if you could give us a little bit of your one as a, to get the metre of a similar metre, yeah, so yeah. your one was. Bloody this, well, uh, the bloody trains are bloody late, you bloody weight and bloody weight, bloody lost, bloody found, stuck in, stuck in fucking chicken sound. But when I did it in the States, I, just soon after I wrote it, I, I went out to the state, went out to, did a show in New York, the Mud Club, and I was just about to launch into it, and I thought, bloody, it ain't uh, even a cuss word in the States, is it? You know, no, they're not supposed to know what it is. So means. I thought, I'd better change it to fucking, you know, the international cuss word. And then when I did, why didn't I write it like this in the first place? And the reason I wrote bloody, I thought, <laughs> I thought maybe, Maybe it'd get some airplay. <laughs> 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 but I still kept stuck in fucking chicken cell. But I thought they could beat that. But I thought they'd be all right How, about how did you blood. go in America? But it never got played anyway, so, you know, I shouldn't yeah. have played it so safe. Fucking, it, was, it should have always... Fucking, it's miles better. It's more percussive. It's got harder yes. consonants. Yeah. It is percussion, isn't it? Yeah. And did you they know, get you in America? It sort of gets lost, doesn't it? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Mm. It's not a good word. Fucking, it. it should have been yes. my mistake. Yeah. My mistake. So what I did it. So I've since then, since I first did it in New York, it's I've always done it fucking. And they, got, and they get of, you in America, do they? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a great opportunity. The great thing about going to the states is that I can I can speak with an American accent. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Could you hey, give us buddy. a list? Yeah. Give us an illustration of your American accent. Uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll spring it on you. Okay. Right? I just can't think of anything to dem- anyway. But you know, I'm good at it. I can, I can, I can, you know, carry on a whole conversation like this. But yeah, it's a great. It's, it's a. It's no, nobody's gonna call you out. But I found out very early on. It's, it's much easier to, to adopt an American accent than to keep explaining where you. You know, hey, you're from England. You know, but you don't sound like a Cockney. Yeah, uh, you know, and it, no, well, I'm from Manchester. It's in the north of, of England, really. Yeah, you no, know no, I mean? I've done that. When so I've been there, it's, so... it's easier. It's easy so, to... And they always start saying, "I'm an idiot, for I am at you," and all of that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's easier just to put to an effect uh, an American, American accent. Just when you're ordering food or something simple like sure. that. Otherwise, you sure you, you do. Get, you know, you know. Sure, well, people do it when they sing. Yeah, you know, you can't sing most. Elvis. Rock and roll songs cannot be sung in an English accent, can they? Americans are, have what a very limited idea of what the British are like, and they're either uh, very posh or the Cockneys, That's and there's it. nothing else. That's it. Because or they, the Beatles, or, or you've, like you know the Liverpool. You're from Liverpool, so you know. well, we're informed entirely by America because we have American yeah, TV. They don't have any British TV to, as a reference point. So all they've got is old stories from the War of Independence. <laughs> are you a tourist when you're on tour? Do you go and look at sort of museums and ancient sites? Or... No, not really. I'm a, a great one for, uh, you know, arriving at the hotel early. I like, what, I just like, the, whole, I like the whole thing, eh? You get to the hotel and stay there. Yeah, 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 until it's showtime. So watch, te- watch telly. Just get out and do a full tourist um Yeah, we'll sort trip. of sketch corners of the of yeah. the city. Do you um, do you do so, this, yeah. don't you? Because you're a you're a sketcher. I like getting out and and doing like a whistle stop tour of wherever I am and drinking it all in. Yeah, I can dig that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you don't do that. No, though. I don't do that. So you couldn't say what your favourite city is. Chicago, I like I like it there. 
I like all the places in the States. But you haven't seen much other than the but hotel. I've, not seen, I've, not seen, I've only really seen the coast. I've been to Chicago and... What did you like about Chicago? Well, I went to Chess Records and it was, That's it was great. great. I, was, I, was in a, I was in a cab, you know, just going, doing a radio thing and then I, by chance looked up at the Michigan Avenue. I said, take me, is it 2120, isn't it? Something I can't remember. I said, can you take me to number 2120, Michigan Avenue, you know, and he, uh, he said, uh, what Chess Records? I said, yeah, you got it. And he says, you wouldn't be the first person to ask me to go there. So, uh, mm. so that was that was great. That, that, I mean, it, I do that in the States. I walk around places in the States. Yeah. You know, it's that, that's, that, that's another thing. And how did you find Chess Records? Uh, it's, a, it's like a shop, isn't it? I mean, you must have been, no? Yeah, yeah, a while ago, but it's, yeah. It's yeah. like a shop. You just knock on the door. It's not like the Blues Museum or anything. It's uh, And it's uh, Willie Dixon's grandson that... Oh, is it? Because he's is it really? That's good because his daughter ran the Blues Foundation, and unfortunately, she passed away. I didn't say Willie Nelson then. No, no, Willie Dixon. Willie Dixon, who was one of the greatest writers of all time, of course. But and of course, they all had great cars. Those those blues uh, artists are great cars. Those Cadillacs and Buicks and all that are really great. Fabulous. What have you? Have you ever fancied an American car? Sure have. Yeah. Yeah, I love those. Uh, I love those cars. Yeah. You, you got any? Yeah, I liked. I used to have a few of those old Stingrays and loved. Oh, great shape! Never, they'll never make you, cars that look like that ever again. They look like rocket ships. You had great a Buick, right? I did have a Buick. Yeah. Right. This fella came up to me and he told me this story before, but he said, "Did you ask Jules about this story?" And I said, "What?" He says, "When we were kids, some other kids had nicked the Buick sign off your car, and we went and chased the kids and got it back for him." Oh, that's very nice of him. So I said, no, I forgot to mention that, but I will do. And now I've done it officially. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks to everybody involved. <laughs> if I was going to have an American car, I'd have a, the really square Ford Bronco. From what year? I think Sounds it's like early... 70s. Or late 70s, but it really does look like if you got a, a fool to design a car. <laughs> <laughs> what, like that Homer Simpson one? For, yeah, it's yeah, just like a drawing the, of a car. The bubble so, domes. You know, yeah. like you, you get a couple of squares and draw a car. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah two yeah. wheels and a dome. Oh, but I think it looked brilliant. And yeah. a kind of light sky blue. <laughs> Beautiful. Because mm, you can have... I mean, I do like all the... You know, I like the shape of all the, the yeah, great... Yeah. But that one just looks so like a drawing. In, in an alternative career, you would have been a car designer. John, any alternative career? I just made it just out of... Like, say, here's three blocks of Lego. Design a car. Yes, make a car out of that shape. <laughs> if it had been an alternative career for you, John, what would it have what would it have been, do you think? What was, was there another job you'd have liked to have had? I mean, would you want to be an actor that was James Bond, a train driver, an astronaut? Advertising copywriter. Oh, yeah? What sort of slogans think, would yeah, you like to...? Uh, oh, shit, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. But I'm always inventing businesses. And like a what? slogan to go with it. There was one for... Noodle, noodle bar, an in and out noodle bar. <laughs> Two doors. <laughs> Two doors, one in, one out. When you said noodle That's... bar, I just imagined that you were talking about a chocolate bar that incorporated uh, noodles within uh, it, which right, is quite energy, horrific. An really. energy bar with compressed noodles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, uh, a, new, a takeaway, a noodle takeaway. You go in right. one door, out the other, and select your. Uh, Noodles. You know, you, what, what sauce you're going to have on the noodles. But ju- only noodles. Anyway, it was going to be called, it was going to be one in every town. The Nippon Inn. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Well, we were talking about Liverpool earlier on. Because you were talking about Liverpool Cathedral, which is, I think, a fantastic bit of architecture. Yeah, it's terrific, yeah. Do you yeah. like it? Yeah, I do. I do. I like it for the uh, Stations of the Cross, which were... Uh, On the inside, The work yeah. of Arthur Dooley. Arthur it's... Dooley, the, the docker. Yeah, he's, he, was a, he was a docker. He's been dead a long time now. But he was a proper hard nut, you know, in... Uh, <clears throat> and he, used to, he, was a, he was a conflicted guy. He was a devout Catholic and also a member of the Communist Party. So he was a conflicted sort of guy. And he, he, let, he was a welder on the docks. And uh, he, uh, I don't know, he went to an art gallery and saw some abstract stuff and thought, why not me? And he started welding up bits and pieces, you know, and uh, he was, got a reputation as a as a, an abstractionist, and then got the gig of doing the uh, Stations of the Cross at uh, the, uh, at the Modernist Cathedral. In well, yeah. It goes to show you, though, I mean, it's like you, if, if anybody's listening and thinking, well, I want to do this, just do it. If you want to do it, do it like you thought, well, I want to be a poet, but you didn't have anybody that could... There wasn't anybody else being a poet, really, doing what you do, so you sort of invented you and your job. Yeah. yeah, that's so right. As, yeah, as, yeah, that's as, that's you know, people do invent yeah, yeah. what they are. So if somebody's listening and wants to invent what they are, that's OK. So to, within a certain ex- uh, level. But then if you go to beyond that, it can become what's, what's known as fraud. <laughs> if <you're laughs> to, but if you can really just be what you want, can't you? Really? Yeah. yeah. But without any um, education like Arthur Dooley does, it, you know, when you go into something brand new without yeah. having any preconceived ideas, that's when you come up with new genius ways of looking at yes. things. Yes, when they asked me, when I suggested that I was the new engineer on some great tunnelling project. Yeah. But I don't know anything about engineering on tunnels. So was it a good idea to have me? I don't know. But I might come up with a different a different way of looking at tunnelling. There's a great skill in having a tunnel that's maybe like the, like the channel tunnel. It starts in England and starts in France mm. and getting them to join up in the middle. Yes. So if it was me, they'd be about three miles apart when they jo- <laughs> the tun- and the- but there'd be two tunnels because they'd never join yes. up. Yeah, so it's quite a good idea. There'd be more tunnels, which would be useful. I yeah. did read. I wish I could think of his name. The obituary of the one. It was a great engineer who did design. I think the Channel Tunnel and some of the great tunnels. And he became all around Europe. He was like he was the main engineer. And I, but, and I wish I could think of his name. But it had a picture of him in his obituary, and it said he was he was no, he was proud to be known all over the world for his boring technique. <laughs> His what? His boring technique. I thought he said ballroom. <laughs> no, no, boring, <laughs> boring technique, because he would bore tunnels. But he's bore, oh, he's boring. Mm, yes, t- yes, yes, yes. Now I'm with you, yeah. Yeah. His boring attitude to life. 
as well. And when I was in, um, I was going to tell you this before, it just reminds me, when uh, I was right next, staying at a hotel next to the cathedral in um, Liverpool. Hope Street. And I was on my own. I don't know, it was a big hotel, but I was on my own and all of the Motown crew were on tour there. So I got Percy Sledge on, wasn't The Temptations over here and Smokey Robinson in America. Anyway, they were all there. Wow. And I was sitting right in the middle of the canteen having breakfast. And they were all on the outside like a wagon wheel. And I was the hub. And they were all saying, Where are you going today, Percy Sledge? I thought I'd go and see the cathedral. What about you, Smokey Robinson? And uh, they were having this conversation right over the top of me. So it was, I felt like I was in the middle of a war zone with missiles of interest flying over my yeah, head from yeah, Motown yeah. stars. Wow, what a great wow, what a place wow. to be. Now, there's an image. Yeah, that is yeah. an image. Yeah, but yeah. also, you see, they're great tourists. Yeah. You see? Yeah. yeah. They were all there going to say... And then I went off to see the, um, the cavern which I was a bit disappointed. Two doors it, up from where well, it actually all, it, was, isn't it? it? Well, it's all... That's totally touristified now, isn't it? So well, you, get, re- you get a bob-leaded John Lennon nodding it's a dog. It's anyway, isn't it? It's on, it's on the same street, but it's about three doors up from where it was, isn't it? And it's all... Every, every shop has got, yeah. you know, Beatles, memorabilia. Can't blame them for that. Mugs and stuff. Well, no, you can't blame them. And as I was walking past, this bloke's going, Steve! Steve! And then he kept doing it, and I turned around and he went, You're ignoring me then? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I'm not Steve. (laughs) And what did he say to that? I can't remember. I think I then ran off. I thought I was was disillusioned by the whole experience. That's like that one of Bernard's gags, that. He says, I was Bernard Manning, my late employer. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, I, I was walking down Rochdale Road, I could hear this voice behind me. Mark, Mark, Mark. Look around, nothing. Mark, Mark, nothing. Mark, Mark. Checked again. Turned out to be a bulldog with a hair lip. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think on that bombshell. Yeah, on that note, I think we should uh, sign off. Yes, thank you very much. Apologies to anybody with the hair lip. (laughs) Thank you very much. Especially a bulldog. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us on the Joyride today. It's been a great pleasure and an honour having you here, John Cooper Clark. John Cooper Clark, thank you. My pleasure all the way, chaps. Anytime. Well, that was nice. There goes John Cooper Clark, yes. the, uh, the uh, punk poet. But it's beyond punk now, isn't it? He's, uh, he's entered into the future. You can't be a punk at my age. <laughs> You've gone by this way, so you can't talk. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's you walking, walking <laughs> off. A... That's amazing, though. He's the first guest ever to have done that, to come back when they've gone off, to return <laughs> from the netherworld. This podcast was produced by Molly Stewart and engineered by George Latham and Mike Body. <laughs> <laughs>